You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I realized something that kind of makes our podcast um, a little more, a little different than a lot of the other Bible podcasts. Number one is, it's just a pot. We're just a conversation. You know, we're just having a conversation. Right. <laughs> and it's, but I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, our podcast is, it's like Bible study, but it's fun. Right. But it's not like we're going out of our way to try to make it fun, as in we're not like playing goofy games and stuff. And yeah. And I was kind of like, well, you know, going back to that analogy of like how you get to know somebody, you you tell stories, and it's like, yeah, it's like it's like Bible study. It's like getting to know somebody without like icebreaker games. That's what our that's what our podcast is. It's just good conversation. I can live with that because I hate icebreaker games. <laughs> oh, I do too. I do too. Um, it they drive me nuts. And I, what's your favorite scar? <laughs> Well, I've never played that one. Oh, you haven't? Oh, no. yeah, that was like 4-H years and years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> Most say, that of, sounds like a different type of game. <laughs> Most of them involve the story about hay hooks or uh, accidents with cattle. Yeah, I've got a couple of hay hook star- scars. <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. We're from Oklahoma. I, I think it's obligatory. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> we, we are, we're, we're, you know, I think about that, and that's just kind of ridiculous how we used to do that. We'd be on a... A stack of bales on that on a trailer uh-huh. rolling around five, sometimes seven tiers of hay stacked one on top of each other. We've got hooks that are like a foot long uh-huh. that we use to pick the bales up and throw them around. Sling them to each other. Sling them to each <laughs> other while we're, while we're on top of this stack of hay. That's rolling around the hay field. Usually at an angle because they weren't flat fields no. either. <laughs> yeah, the field. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't lock your knees. It, that was like the first That's thing. That's <laughs> rule number one. Don't lock your knees. Uh, it's uh, hay fields and choirs. That's uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you've probably had more experience with choirs than I have. But... Um, I don't know. Not that much. I mean, basically, I haven't, I haven't messed with choirs since we left church. But, the, <laughs> but, but no, I was, I was thinking about that, though. Like, just. That, that's kind of what makes our podcast a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we, we kind of come from a background where conspiracy theories uh, weren't necessarily um, disapproved of. Where, where are you going with this? Well, I was just thinking, you know, we, we kind of look at some of those things, those ideas that are out there on the fringes a little bit. Uh, some of the traditions and the craziness that has grown up around the Bible. And we, we kind of, we don't just act like oh they aren't worth our time we actually look at why they exist and how people uh, yeah. might be okay. able to see it yeah and okay i'm with you there yeah i was like wait a minute <laughs> we're not that show no but we're not but at the same time um i i think that by exploring some of those ideas we can see why people might think the way they do and, and we can also look at some of the dangers but also some of the ways they might add to our understanding right okay and so fair enough yeah yeah, I think we've got a good balance on that. I, I would hope so. 
Yeah. Well, you know, we aren't advocating that Esau was a vampire. We just that he's probably not. He's I'm going to go. He's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of <laughs> talking about what we do here. Um, Should we do it? And that was kind of the crazy, like roundabout way to talk about how our show works. But let's let's see how it works. Let's, <laughs> let's read some Bible. OK, well, we actually stopped a little short uh, last week. Um, we had like two verses left in Genesis 48. And this is when Israel talks to Joseph. And I'm just going to read them since it's two verses. Then Israel or Jacob, Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. And now I assign to you one portion more than your brothers, which I wrested from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Do you see any problem with this? I, I'm, I'm not quite following. Go ahead. There's no story of Jacob wresting any city from the Amorites with his sword and bow. Okay. It's like absolutely not in the text. And so we, we've kind of got a little bit of a problem here. Um, some commentators have said, well, maybe this is uh, Shechem. And, but we know that Jacob didn't fight that battle. That was Simon and Le Levy. And see here. And I'm going, I don't see a problem textually with what's going on. 147 years, we have <laughs> a few pages about this guy. Exactly. I mean, what's... Exactly. But I, this, is, this is one of those things... It's I narcissistic to think we know everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's... Go ahead. Well, well no, you're right. I, I agree. Because this is one of the things that Bible critics like to bring up. We, we don't have the story, so how can it possibly tr be true? This is one of the things that gets filed under contradictions. And it's not. It's probably just an omission because the Bible writers didn't think the story was pertinent to the message of Genesis. Right. And so it's, we don't have to get caught up in that kind of thing. And I, I think, you know, by pointing it out from someone who's not going to use it as a way to just, you know, slam the Bible... And to let people know, hey, you can have these these admissions. You can have things that are alluded to. It doesn't. It's not all spelled out. I'm sure he went to the bathroom once in his life, but we never get that. No, that that's Saul. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, Saul's the only person in the Bible who goes to the bathroom, right? Well, other than uh, Baal. Oh well. And, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Baal. <laughs> well, yeah, and and then who was the guy who got stabbed? Oh, um, I can't remember who he was, but uh, Yehud uh, was the one who stabbed him. And he's in Judges. Speaking of which... We're getting close. We're getting close. This is actually our final episode in Genesis. So uh, this, this is our last one that we're doing with that's got like, that we're going through the text. Right. Hopefully people will have some questions between now and then and we'll kind of do maybe kind of a recap episode on some of the exactly. loose threads. Yeah. If not, we'll just go straight to Judges. Which I'm really excited about. So, um, but... In this text, there's, we've got a couple of things going on that we should, we should notice. Joseph is getting a double portion. This is the portion for the firstborn. Mm -hmm. But Jacob did not give it to Joseph directly. He gave it to Ephraim and, and Manasseh. Exactly. So he, he managed to kind of find a loophole that wouldn't put Joseph in that same situation as he did when he gave Joseph the coat of many colors. Sure. He, he did it for his grandsons, who he adopted as sons. And... Maybe Jacob learned his lessons that this is he can't show outright favoritism for Joseph. But, you know, who's going to 
begrudge a grandfather a gift to grandsons. Well, you know, <laughs> I have some information on Joseph's brothers that they're not always the most agreeable cats. Uh, this is true. <laughs> this is true. And we're going to get ready to go in there. But uh, before we go to some of the reasons why they aren't the most agreeable people, um, Jacob uses a very interesting word here. He, he says that uh, he wrested it from the Amorites. And he's actually reminding us of the promise that God made to um, Abraham back in Genesis 15, 16. Okay. And he tells uh, Abraham, you know, your, your, your family is going to go into bondage for 300 years and they're going to stay there because the sins of the Amorites are not, com- are not complete. Right. And so uh, who are the Amorites? We know the Amorites, when they leave um, Egypt uh, you know, in the book of Exodus, one of the first major battles they fight is with this guy named Og. Mm-hmm. And he is a king, but he's also one of the Rephaim. He's an Amorite. He is one of the giants. Okay. And yeah. so Jacob is reminding us in this little snippet here that this divine council worldview, this, this spiritual battle that's been going on since Genesis 6, it, they're still a part of it. It's still in play. Hmm. It's not been forgotten. And so they, um, he, he brings this out. And, you know, Joshua, his first battle, major battle, or one of his major battles, is with the five Amorite kings. Okay. And that's the, you know, Joshua kills them, beheads them. I think he puts their heads on spikes. And I mean, this is one of the most brutal battles of the, of the Old Testament. And the thing is, everybody goes, oh, that's so bloody. And that's where you get this whole, the God of the Old Testament is brutal and, you know, almost villainous. Mm-hmm. And the God of the New Testament's all love. Well, the Amorites weren't people. They were these half-breed Nephilim angel human hybrid you know there there's something different right and so you know even today we don't have a problem with the idea of wiping out something like that versus human beings i walking dead's great example of this Uh, you know it's it's that difference so um the other thing that's going on is um he includes a word in here and I've got notes posted all over the note I need to get to. Uh, the one portion here is actually a play on the word Shechem. Okay. And Shechem, if we remember, is the city where um, Simon and Levi went in and killed everyone after the rape of Dina. Right. And um, that being the first place where brothers acted like brothers. Mm-hmm. This was the city where um, Jacob originally sent Joseph to find his brothers whenever um, he had had the dreams and the brothers weren't there and the Holy spirit and the guise of the man, the unnamed man directs him. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff goes down in Shechem and Joseph is actually going to be buried in Shechem. He's going to return to that place. And so Shechem's very big and, and Jacob kind of works it into this little blessing here. Right. So now, um, we're getting ready to move into chapter 49, and this is sometimes called the blessing of Jacob. If you read through this, it's really hard to call this the blessing of Jacob because not everything he says. It's not quite a blessing. It's not. And it, it lends itself to supporting 
what you just said about Joseph's brothers. But the main thing is, is while not all the sons are praised, they are all included. And this is the first time that the father is given a blessing like this that's so expansive. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've had some one and twos now with Manasseh and Ephraim, actually, and even with Tamar's twins. But we don't have inclusion and certainly not 12 sons. That, that's, I mean, we've gone from bare minimum to extravagance. Right. And all of Genesis has been building to this. Um, this is the first sustained piece of poetry in the Bible. And uh, it's really considered to be one of the more difficult parts of the Bible to understand because, yeah. <laughs> well, and because it is poetic. So you've got a lot of um, obscure words. Um, you've got a lot of uh, funny phrasing. Um, I mean, you you have it just in the first line. I mean, just assemble and listen, O son, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. You know, you're doing the flipping mm-hmm. back and forth. I mean, it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. come together and um, tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Um, this that phrase there also it, it's another tip off that this is not about what has happened. This is also including what's going to happen. This mm-hmm. becomes a formulaic pronouncement in the prophets that says, you know, the end days, the days to come, the, the eschaton, if you will. Um, and one of the things that we're going to see is some of this is going to address prior behaviors, but a lot of it's going to address things that are going to happen later on, um, mm-hmm. in, both in the conquest of Canaan after the Exodus but also in Judges, and I was surprised to see how well this ties with Judges, and specifically the Song of Deborah. Uh, and so I decided not to delve too deeply into that until we get to the Song of Deborah, because that's just, that's an amazing song. Uh, matter of fact, just a little teaser of what we're going to be looking at when we get to Judges. There um, is a song by Moses, and it's after the Exodus, and he's singing God's praises. And it's mm-hmm. always supposed to be written tile by tile, brick upon brick, and to show the importance. So no matter how it's printed, whenever it's written out this way, it's set off from the rest of the text as distinct. There's only one other song in the Bible that's given that same honor, and it's the song of Deborah. And this puts her and her teaching and her song and the teaching within the song on the same level as Moses. Okay. So now you said it's written to be tile on tile. What, tile. Tile upon tile, brick upon brick. So the words... um the words are put on top of each other and they're in straight lines. They aren't. Um, so whenever you read. They're, it's all in columns, not, mm-hmm. not well, in rows. Or yeah. I'm, I'm confused about how, what, what exactly okay. you're saying there. Cause it, it, it's. Think about whenever we're reading the Bible, like if you're reading a narrative, you know, the, the, the lines run all the way across from one side to the other. Sure. But when you read the Psalms, how they're, they're offset and the lines yeah. are, that's what they're talking about. Um, that it should always be recorded that way. And so even though the Psalms are written that way as a matter of function, these are written this way as a matter of theology. Okay. So I, I, I love that because that shows the importance of Deborah. And so we're going to get into that uh, more and I'll see if I can find like a visual. Um, I should be able to do it. I've got some um, old Hebrew text written in the Masoretic. So, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll be yeah. glad to, to check that out. That's interesting. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious about that, and we'll have a discussion about this later after I get my thoughts together on it. <laughs> so um, Jacob begins um, his blessing, and he begins with his firstborn. He begins with uh, with Reuben, 
who, you know, he identifies him. You're, you're my firstborn. And he, he talks about some of Reuben's finer points, but then he says, unstable as water. You shall excel no longer, for you have mounted your father's bed and brought disgrace to my couch, my couch he mounted. So he's talking about that incident where Reuben uh, slept with Bilhah after the death of Rachel mm-hmm. that he never addressed the entire, it, basically it happened and we moved on with the story. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> this seems like something, I don't know, that's a long road to recovery. Yeah, I'm surprised he's even still in the house. To be perfectly honest, it really is. Well, and you know, and Ruben has just been all the way along. He's been problematic. He's been way too involved in his mother's sex life with the Mandrakes. He sleeps with Bilhah, and then whenever Joseph is uh, demanding to see Benjamin, he says, "Hey, if I don't bring Benjamin back safe, you can kill my sons, right? Not me, my sons." So, so Ruben, Ruben's not a great guy. Um. That word there, unstable, that's the first word of uh, verse four in mine. I don't know what yours says. It is, yes. Okay. First one. Uh, another translation is reckless. And um, it's used in the same word is used in Jeremiah 23, 32. And it says the false prophets are reckless, that they've led people astray. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, as far as like as a character, we see in Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like a troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters toss up mire and mud. Hmm. So, I mean, this is not a positive thing to be described as by your father at all. Yeah. Wow. And that's very interesting. And he's excluded. You know, Reuben, Reuben fades from the scene. Even the tribe of Reuben starts to recede into the distance. Um not really a huge player in most of history. He's just kind of there. Um, then Jacob moves on to um, Simon and Levy, and he calls them a pair, and that they, you know, they were the ones who attacked the city of Shechem, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who uh, had used, you know, the fact the guys had just gotten circumcised to be able to overcome them. Jacob again never said a word, good, bad, or indifferent. He never said anything on Dina's behalf. He is silent, and this is the first time that we get any kind of insight into what he's thinking. The, the only other hint we might have is when um, Joseph kept Simon as prisoner, and Jacob was like, well, yeah, he's dead. I'm going to mourn him, and never offered to go get him. Yeah. So um, he kind of gives this moral verdict on, on who they are as people that they— for when they're angry, they slay men, and when they please, they maim oxen. It, hmm. the, not great guys. Um, we don't have any clue as to far as far as um, Levy what that he's going to go into the priesthood at this point. Jacob doesn't address this, but right. he is addressing them as a warrior type person. And we know that the Levites were very prominent in the battles coming out of Exodus. Right. So they were. Evidently pretty skilled. But then we get to Judah. And um, I, I'm going through these pretty quick because I mean, if we stopped and went through all of them, we would be bogging down in numbers and in judges. And we would just, again, we'd be here for three more weeks. Uh, but uh, before we get to Judah, he, Jacob curses them. So, you know, not what you think of as the blessing of Jacob. This is the reason why it's sometimes called the Testament of Jacob. Um, Sounds like a more appropriate word. I I think so. 
Um, so in verse eight, you, O Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be at the nape of your foes. Your father's son shall bow low to you. Uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. And pray, my son, have you grown? He crouches and lies down like a lion, like a king of beasts who dare rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So the tribute shall come to him and the homage of people shall be his. And so he, he continues to go on. But um, we have some interesting words here. I mean, obviously, the Lion of Judah becomes very prominent in the imagery of Israel as a nation. Uh, we talk about that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And this verse on 10 uh, that says, So the tribute shall come to him, and the homage of people shall be his. This exceeds his brothers. If you look at the wording there, it actually is believed to be phrased in such a way to include foreign people. Yeah. Which is in total keeping with the Messiah. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you think of Jesus extending the, this covenant promise beyond the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, to include all the world, mm-hmm. and now Jacob's acting very prophetically in what Judah's destiny is going to be. Um, and also, the, the scepter shall not depart from him, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. It had departed from him in the past. Tamar had taken these things from him with, as the pledge. Yeah. So Jacob's acknowledging kind of what happened, and he's saying it's not going to happen again. Now, this is not going to happen until way later. This is going to happen in Samuel, and it's going to happen with David, but not before Saul from the tribe of Benjamin becomes the king. Right. So for a while, it looks like Judah's not even going to, this isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's good. I mean, this is taking literally hundreds of years well, to come to fruition. And that's kind of the interesting thing about the, these stories is seeing that these prophecies, they come about in ways that we don't expect them to. Always. And every single time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, everything from, uh, from these words of, uh, of Jacob all the way to the words of the prophets concerning the Messiah, we don't know. And I'm sure even on to Revelation and... Uh, at the end of the world and, and whatever that looks like, it's not going to happen the way anyone expects it to. Right. And I think that's why we have to know that these prophecies don't look like what the prophet envisioned or what the people hearing them envisioned. Right. And so, or, or how they were received, rather, because I'm sure they happened as the prophet, like, there was some kind of vision. <laughs> there was some kind of vision, but how, how total was that vision? Yeah. That, that's the real good question. And yeah, but how it was received, definitely. I, I think that's the question. Was it um, was it fulfilled in the way that people expected, or did God just slam them from the side and just you know blindside them? You know this, right? And I I know that's how God's tended to work in my life, but I also know that this is where we need to be learning and being able to be discerning. If this is the way God has been operating in the past, then we should expect it in the future. Sure. So. Uh, I did like this uh, little tidbit, uh, still talking about Judah. He washes his garments in wine. Verse 11, uh, he washes his garments in wine, the robe of, in his robe, in the blood of grapes. In ancient times, to have wine was definitely to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Because if you just had enough grapes to eat, you didn't make wine. Right, yeah. 
This is over and above abundance. This is extravagance. If he's going to be able to wash his robe in wine, the blood of grapes, then this means that he is going to, he's just going to excel and God's going to be with him. And even the wine itself is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Right. And Well, and, and then you even have this image of Christ in the future where, you know, his blood, the robes and the blood, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have that on into, like the cross, then you have that on into the prophetic, into the, the into Revelation, where it talks about his garment looks as though it's been dipped in blood. Exactly. I mean, so, yeah, you, you have this tie-in that, that weaves its way all the way through. Well, and then talk about unexpected ways, because often prophecy is very twofold. There's almost like you have this this very practical application that sometimes plays out, but then you also have this higher spiritual application that happens. So mm-hmm. where you're talking there, that's the higher practical, I, I'm sorry, that's a higher spiritual application. And I think very fitting, but it's also interesting that we now know from our archaeology that Judah's tribe actually became people who dyed clothing and fabric. And, I, like, I didn't know that yes. either. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. But, and there's that often that dual aspect to the prophetic that it's, it's very nitty gritty down to earth realization. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this higher spiritual thing that's going on. And uh, when we get to start to talk about prophets, then we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. some more about how that plays out. Yeah, that'll be fun. Oh, yeah. So after we leave Judah behind, we, we go to Zebulon and Iskar. Now, they're flipped. Their, their birth order is flipped. And uh, even in the Song of Deborah and in the Blessing in Deuteronomy 33, flipped. We, we don't really know why. Uh, evidently, there's some significance to it. Um, we know, know that um, basically Iskar was more active. I mean, sorry, Zebulun was more active in the conquest. So uh, it, that may have been a, a way of honoring them uh, for the conquest of Canaan. As far as living by the sea, we don't have any Israelites actually as far as in major sea trade. Right. Um, we do know that these tribes were hired by the Phoenicians to help build boats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really talked about in the Bible, but we know it from historical record. We also know that uh, some of the tribes did use little portages along the, the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean and different places to, to kind of springboard into trade. Uh-huh. Uh, it was never something was, that was central to the salvation plan kind of uh, side of, of their reality. It, it was really just kind of almost a side note. So it's not really something we have about in the Bible, but it does seem to have some historical bearings or bases. Okay. So um, we have, for Iskar, he is a strong-boned ass. Um, I thought that was a great blessing. Um, very much, you know, uh, something you want to tell your son. Uh, <laughs> well, it kind of had a different connotation at during that time. It it, it did. Um, but here he's saying that basically they're going to kind of give in and carry uh, merchandise for the Canaanites, and that they he's a strong boned ass, but he is um, crouching among the sheepfolds, but he's going to wind up being a toiling surf for other nations. Yeah. So, um, now there is a rabbinic teaching that Iskar 
engaged in the study of Torah while Zebulun fought. And so Zebulun studied Torah while Iskar, I mean, sorry, Zebulun was busy fighting and Iskar was the one who was studying it. But, and that's the reason why they're reversed. I, I don't see that being hmm. really all that true, but that, that is something I found a lot of it out there. Um, Dan shall govern his people. That's not a whole lot to say there other than the fact that Dan, his, the borders of Dan, whenever Joshua went into the, to Canaan and he began to lay out where everybody was going to live, mm-hmm. Dan's borders are never defined. It never, it never explains where his territory begins and ends. Interesting. It, now, you're right. Now it tells where the, the tribes surrounding him, where their borders were. Right. But it doesn't tell where Dan's is. And when we talk about Dan, we specifically talk of cities. And over and over again, you'll see where the cities are the primary, um, the, the primary entity and expression of Dan that we're going to be talking about. Um, now, he, this is a warring tribe. They were excellent uh, fighters. They engaged in some guerrilla warfare. Uh, that was what they were specifically known for which fits with he shall be a serpent by the road, a viper by the path that bites at the horse's heels so that the rider is thrown backwards. Horses at this point in time weren't used like riding on them. They were used to pull chariots. That's it. Right. So if you have a horse that runs away, then the riders and the chariots are going to fall out backwards. And so they're probably referring to that. Okay. Um, and I know I'm just feel like I'm rushing through this. No, it's okay. It's, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, uh, Gad and Asher and Naphtali, not really much said about them. Not it. I didn't find any good commentaries that like made this make sense or made me go wow. But again, tribes you really don't hear about that much singled out in in the rest of scripture. Um, now, when we get to Joseph. And this, this kind of perked up my ears a bit. Uh, Joseph is a wild ass, a wild ass by a spring, wild cults on a hillside. This is verse 22, by the way. Archers bitterly assailed him. They shot at him, harried him, yet his bow stayed taut. His arms were made firm by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. There the shepherd, the rock of Israel, the God of your father who helps you, and Shaddai who blesses you with blessings of heaven above. So, well, that's this, that's interesting because in the ESV it says Joseph is a fruitful bough, really a fruitful bough by a spring, and his branches run over the wall. Very the archers uh, bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him severely, and yet his bow remained unmoved in his arms and were made agile. That's verse twenty-two. Yeah, I am looking. Well, verse twenty-two and part of twenty-four. Yeah. Is made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your fathers who help you. By the, hmm, that, that's interesting. Okay, well, but and he, you've got the JPS translation, right? Yeah, um, and it is. I'm looking at this because I should. I would like to take some time to look that up. We'll we'll do that on the wrap-up episode. Yeah, well, and the wild ass thing, though, fits. And here's why I think it fits. Because there's another person besides the the last son that we just looked at who who the blessing is he's a wild ass of a man. 
and that's Ishmael. And God blesses Ishmael, tells Hagar, this is the Ishmael blessing for Ishmael when he mm-hmm. cast her out. And um, Ishmael's a bowman. Right. And he, he becomes a feared archer. And so this all fits with the Ishmael thing. But think about this. Joseph was cast out. Ishmael was cast out. Abraham expected Ishmael to be returned to him. Joseph was returned to Jacob. After he was cast out. After he was cast out. So I, and the Ishmaelites were the ones who took Jacob, uh, Joseph to Egypt. Yeah. And so I, I think this is probably when we do the research, when we do a wrap up episode, I think it's going to come out that it is going to be. Well, I could also see the, the fruitful bow being a, uh, a tie in too, <laughs> when you look at the blessing and uh, that Rachel will be fruitful. Well, actually, and okay. so, you know, we, we, it could go either way. Either one ties back. It, it, it does. And, but here's the thing. And, and here I'm going to support you on this one. And say, I, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just I'm just I'm, no. it's just interesting that both translations try into a different place in the story. They, they do. And but no, I, this is the reason why it's so interesting, because um, if you notice verse 26 the blessing of your father surpassed the blessings of my ancestors to the utmost bounds of the eternal hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph on the brow of the elect of his brothers. Now, the elect there is Netzer. And we talked about the Netzer when we talked about Rachel in that episode with Balaam and Laban being the same person in Matthew 2, the David Instone Brewer. Uh, hey, refresh uh, me on the Netzer. Yeah, What's the, the Netzer? The Netzer is that is a crown. It's the one okay, who wears right. the crown. Uh, it, it means leader. Um, and so it's possibly the basis of our word Nazarite. Uh, um, gotcha. Gotcha. And so it does fit. And it also means hair of the head is another word. But so it does, there's, it, it the nets are also, um, oh, where is it? Oh, here it is. Isaiah 11.1 1 is, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch, or netzer, from his root shall bear fruit. Isaiah 11.1. 1. So that fruitful branch and bow, or bough, uh, also fits with there. So, so it could be, I can see either one fitting. And, and this would be so like the Bible to have this word that would be in dispute that could mean both things and fit perfectly in both scenarios. Yeah. And this is the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm so convinced that this has to be an inspired book because people don't write this way. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we just don't. Um, we would have made a decision to go one way or the other. And God says, nah, we're just, we're going to wrap it all up. <laughs> so, but um, the rock of Israel that's mentioned here, this is the first time that we actually have um, the rock of Israel used. And this is going to become important in New Testament upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. So the rocks would cry out. Uh, rock is an, one of the names of God. Right. And, you know, rock of ages. We still use it. Sure. Uh, it's this idea of unchanging protection. And, uh, but it's a very ancient title. So this is all sorts of fun. Oh yeah. And I, I almost overlooked that. I made a note. Um, I'd said it in a previous episode, but I think also I should bring it out. 
Joseph is considered also to be the first prototype of the Nazarite. Uh, the Nazarite. Yeah. So, yeah. You mentioned that with the shaved head mm-hmm, and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So this all you know, it all plays in because Joseph was uh, he was shaved by by Pharaoh, but then he was also he was set apart for a time to mm-hmm. to do and a specific. Have, and then you have the Netzer tie, linguistic tie-in kind of that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, it, it, it becomes you can see where. Studying all of this can take you down so many roads and you have to hold all these parallel threads and tension simultaneously to get the full picture. And sometimes your brain just melts. Yeah. <laughs> That's just. <laughs> so um, Benjamin is praised. He's the last one. Um, the He is. Um, I find it interesting. He's a ravenous wolf. That's mm-hmm. a. I don't know if that's necessarily a compliment. <laughs> is that. Of course, um, I guess there's. We kind of get a. a we kind of get a bad connotation with that with uh, the 21st century. Um, right. The... <laughs> yeah. It was a bugs bunny that helped us with that one. Was it? Uh, well, no, I was just thinking of like, uh, just kind of something you would say about someone who was, uh, you know, like a guy who's, you know, right. Sleeping around. Well, kind a, of an idea. I, I was thinking of the cartoon wolf with it. No, no. Yeah. Well, but this is unlike anything we've heard up, about Benjamin up to this point. Up to this point, he has been someone completely devoted to and, and you know, almost codependent sounding like on Jacob. Yeah. You don't think of him as a ravenous wolf, but he will become the father of this tribe who their their claim to fame is their ability to fight. Yeah. And they're mostly left-handers. And um, I think it's interesting that the Bible points out that they're left-handed. Um Ehud was the Benjamite, Benjaminite. Uh, Saul, also from the tribe of Benja, Benjamin. I don't know why I keep wanting to drop syllables today. Um, very highly praised in the Song of Deborah. And so he evidently, Jacob's seen something in his son that's going to, to lead to this, this destiny. And in the evening, he divides the spoil. I mean, there, there's... Hmm. This is it's kind well, of dark. It, it is kind of, well, it is kind of dark, and it's kind of interesting because, like you said, like we've we've like we've discussed before, this idea that that Benjamin was a character who we thought might have had this codependent status. Mm-hmm. But is it that, or is it? I don't know. Or was he was he like a, a first in command? He seems it, to become that. And and I mean, I mean, because I mean, this is another aspect. I'm just speculating here. Mm-hmm. I have nothing on this. You know, if he was like the first in command and if they if if he and and uh, Jacob had been out fighting battles all these years, uh, you know, if he leaves my father's side, he'll die. Well, why? Well, because he won't have any protection from all the people who want to kill him. This is a good point, especially (laughs) on the heels where we're talking about was that, you know, when he took the city from the Amorites with a bow and spear was Was Benjamin? Benjamin by his side. Yeah. Well, he calls him the son of my right hand. So, I mean. There's another avenue to explore. (laughs) So that's a, that's an interesting question to ask. Was it, was it that, is it with Benjamin and Jacob separated? Are they, um, is it just that they're, you know, do they make that many enemies in Canaan? Well, and they might have, I mean, who knows? And and that's. Sacking cities, fooling people into (laughs) circumcising themselves. I mean, all kinds of. Well, trouble this family caused you know simon levy had to learn it somewhere i mean <laughs> right? they surely they didn't just 
come up with this on their own. And and Jacob was he was a schemer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, he he did have some brute force about him. Right. And and these are the things that I think remind us that we don't we don't and we can't ever have it figured out. That yeah. There's always well, something else. Well, and we forget about that warrior aspect. And even 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 you and me mm-hmm. talking about this stuff for how many months and we <laughs> you know. We talk about, you know, Jacob says, I took the city through sword and bow. And you're like, uh, oh, yeah, these were these were tough people. These were yeah. not just people who were laying around, hanging out with the sheep. You know, oh, yeah, it, it was it was tough times. And it, it really was about physical ability and being sound and fit in body and mind to survive. Yeah. And something that, you know, Husqvarna would never have to print their uh, cautionary tail oh yeah okay. so, but, I mean, it's it's good for us to think about these people being real people and that's that's what i like about these conversations is that's what we do yeah and it's, yeah it's trying to put the the flesh and bones back on the the mm-hmm. narrative because it really is so much is lost especially especially with as little detail as we get right well and, and the and words having, are the words is the use of words is economic right and so that's the reason why i think when you do have like those dual meanings like what we were talking about with joseph and his blessing yeah being either a either a wild yeah. ass or being a, a, fruitful, a bow. fruitful bow yeah i mean i i i'm pretty certain right after this episode you're probably gonna go look that up <laughs> yeah I, I hope yeah. so yeah because <laughs> i'm gonna have to um so uh, as this ties up uh verse 28 says all these were the tribes of israel Okay, so now Israel definitely 100%. This is a confederation of, of tribes forming a nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12 in number. This is the first time we have a number. So now we know what that what makes the nation of Israel. Right. We have Jacob has to find it. So whether or not he's praised his son, he said some pretty questionable things about his sons. It doesn't matter. They're right. included. They're included, and he's like, "This is what you're working with. Here you mm-hmm. go." Yeah, and that's that's the important part because this is where we we've got to get to. And so he kind of gives them he well he doesn't kind of he gives them instructions about how he wants to be buried. This is actually we find out um, specifically you know, we'd actually kind of quipped that Rebecca and um, Leah could still be around living because the Bible never says they died. We actually hear it does. It says that they died. Okay. So oh, they're dead. Uh, In case anyone was concerned. <laughs> yeah. And so he he um, wants to bury them. He wants to be buried with them in the field that he bought from the Hittites. And so um, when and, Jake, and that's the that's the field he he bought to bury Shechem. To, okay, the field in Shechem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're Got thinking it. of Abraham with Sarah. I was thinking of Abraham mm-hmm. with Sarah. Yes. Yep. Because we've covered a lot of people. Oh, we have. And the cast is still going to continue to expand. Um, the plot thickens. Always. And so he dies after this. And we're in the, the final chapter of Genesis. Um, Joseph, he, he flings himself on his father's face and wept. And then Joseph, in verse 2, says that he ordered the physicians in his service to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. Um, there's only two people in the entire Bible that are embalmed and one is Joseph and one is Jacob. 
And so the, these are the only two accounts that, that there's anybody embalmed. Um, now, some of the Jewish commentators have tried to make a big deal that the physicians embalmed Israel, that it's not priest who right. embalmed him, that this is not any kind of um, religious. That Jacob wasn't being, that his body wasn't being uh, commended to false gods. Right, right. And so I, I was curious, what does the ESV say, verse 2 there? I think it's a, yeah, uh, commanded his servants and the physicians to embalm his okay. father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Okay. So, and, and who knows? I mean, and even if he would have had priests to do it, I mean, would it, I think that might be just the, well, the thing is the Egyptian priests, you know, they're just, you know, they're going to embalm and be like, okay, which gods this one go into? I'm going to put a label on it and ship it out later. Oh, well, and that's the thing. It would, I, if he would have employed them, I, I was, it would have, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I just assumed everybody else should know. I know it. So you should not. Um, if he would have employed it, it would have been because they would have been skillful in doing it. I don't think it would have been in any kind of religious capacity that he would have hired him. Right. And so, I, I mean, I like kosher hot dogs. Is, is that because they're good at making hot dogs? I mean, not because I'm eating them for religious yeah. reasons. Yeah. Hebrew so. <laughs> national sauerkraut. That's some good stuff Yummy. there. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, before we get off on food, um, we're going to... So... It required 40 days, as such as the full period of embalming, and the Egyptians bewailed him 70 days. And then when the wailing was over, Joseph speaks to the house of Pharaoh. Um, this was a pretty common time period. We actually have some Greek um, documents that say that 70 days of, of mourning for an important person and 40 days of embalming, that, that, was, um, that was, you had to be high ranking. But it wasn't unheard of, so we have that backed up. Um, but this whole conversation that's getting ready to happen with Joseph and, and Pharaoh, it's pretty telling because Joseph doesn't go to Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh's court. He goes to Pharaoh's household. And he says, do me this favor, lay an appeal to Pharaoh. Not you know, he, He's having to, to ask permission through a second party. This is he's the second in command of Egypt, and yet he can't go to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh this question. Well, it's been seventeen years um, since since he was made second in command. Do what's happened? Yeah. Is, is he still is he still in that role? Um, did he abdicate and decide he wanted to go back and be with his family? That's a really good question because it seems this is out of place. And, and even look at the, the reason he gives. My father made me swear. Not I want to go bury my father. My father made me swear. Mm. And so he uses this as kind of leverage. And matter of fact, some of the commentaries even said that um, the reason why Jacob made Joseph swear to him was so that he would have this mm -hmm. as an excuse. Because as we talked about before, you don't get out of oaths. You don't get out of vows in the Bible. If you, if you make that promise, you do it. Right. Period. Which we're going to have a great story in Judges about that. But anyway. <laughs> um, and so he says, Pharaoh says, tells Joseph, sends word to him, says, go up and bury your father as he made you promise an oath. And it's kind of like, oh, since he made you promise, I, I guess I'll let you go. Sure. Um. 
And so Joseph goes and marry, buries his father. And when he goes, this list goes with him. Um, with him went all the officials of Pharaoh, the senior members of his court, and all of Egypt's dignitaries, together with all of Joseph's household, his brothers, his father's household, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the region of Goshen. Chariots, too, and horsemen went up with him. It was a very large troop. Now, we've been listening to Heiser talk about Exodus. Mm-hmm. And Pharaoh, when Moses approaches him, he says, the men can go sacrifice. The women and the children can stay behind. And he's, and Pharaoh, in that incident, in that incident with um, Moses, is using it to make sure they aren't going to run away. Right. I don't see any reason to think that there's a different motive behind what Pharaoh's doing right here. That he, he wants, leave the women and children behind. Leave your flocks and your riches behind. Yeah. Because I want to make sure you come back. And this entourage, I mean, we got Joseph's 12 brothers. Simon and Levy took out an entire town by themselves. Mm-hmm. Now we got 10 more. And he's sending along a very large troop to escort them to bury this body. I don't think it's for their protection. So much as make sure you come back. Make sure yeah. you come back. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, and again, this and this is something that I didn't realize. I, I you know I'd read this before, but I didn't, <laughs> never thought about it until we're going through it again this way. Um, so it's like I didn't realize. Oh, there was a huge funeral procession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. It's yeah, it's it's major, and, and there, I think there's actually something behind this. And I'm going to read what I think. I'm going to read a comment that's in here, but. I think this points out so much for being Pharaoh's father. Fathers don't have to ask permission to take care of family members and fathers don't have to, to go through messengers to speak with their sons. Right. So, um, and the, the Bible's very specific about where they came. They, they came to Goran Ha'atad, which is beyond the Jordan. Uh, and which there they held a very great and solemn lamentation and observed a mourning period of seven days for his father. And when the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw the mourning at Goran Ha'atad, they said, this is a solemn mourning on the part of the Egyptians. That is why it is named Abel Misarim, and which is beyond the Jordan. So I want to read this because I thought this was very interesting. Um, Excavations have disclosed that the town was an Egyptian stronghold just a little to the south, on the same highway, lies Deir el Balag, which is a large collection of burial grounds for high-ranking Egyptians serving in Canaan and for Egyptianized Canaanite rulers and dignitaries. Such an association would explain why the cordage halted at Abel Mitzarim for a public homage to Jacob in his own country. This is a display to the Canaanites. Jacob's one of us now. Hmm. Jacob and all of his boys. Interesting. That, wow. Because the Canaanites said, this is a great uh, morning on the part of the Egyptians. And that kind of lends back to what we were just talking about, Jacob being a major military force, that if if Pharaoh wants to co-opt him 
and use him as a display of power to the Canaanites. How how influential was Jacob? Yeah. It kind of opens up that question. Um, and so anyway, they carry him, um, uh, they do carry him over to the cave that, that he'd bought. Um, and they return to, to Egypt. But I love the fact that we have some more archaeological evidence that we aren't really having to push and manipulate in order mm-hmm. to, to support this. Can we say that Jacob was definitely there? We can know, but we can see how the story does fit very well into that timeline and with the observances that are being made. Yeah. And so, and those are the kind of ties I like to see. Um, so, of course, the brothers freak out. Dad's dead. What's Joseph going to do to us now? So evidently Joseph still has some power. Yeah. But I do think it's kind of interesting that Joseph, now, now they're worried. Yeah. And it's like, this is after Joseph has already displayed that he was glad everyone was still alive. But was he doing it for the brothers or was he doing it because of dad? Because, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fair question, but it just seems really weird that this is 17 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> But, but I think that's, that shows you that they still hadn't accepted that he was, he had forgiven and that he's moved on. But I mean, he's still been Egyptian this entire time too. He still hasn't really returned to the family yet. And he, he still has some sway in, uh, in Egypt and maybe he hasn't fully reimmersed himself in their culture and that, that causes suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the text does kind of lend itself to this. Um, now, the brother's behavior, when they, when they approach Joseph, the words they're saying, uh, he says, we are, you know, we're prepared to be your slaves, um, reminds us once again of, of Jacob when he goes back to Esau for reconciliation. And Jacob says, you know, I'll be your slave. And he calls mm-hmm. Esau my Lord. Um, Joseph, his response, this is verse 19, says, have no fear. Am I a substitute for God? Besides, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good so as to bring about the present result and the survival of many people. And fear not, I will, and so fear not, I will sustain you and your children. Okay, am I a substitute for God? Vengeance from time, came and taught, from as far back as we can remember, uh, love synonyms for that reason. And beyond. And beyond. Uh, vengeance belongs to the gods. That's not something for humanity to, to deal in. Once humans get sucked into a cycle of vengeance, it's, it, it, it's no good. We, we've seen this over and over again. This is supported not only in ancient mythology. This is supported in even today's mythology, the TV yeah. shows and movies. Right. So, you know, am I a substitute for God? Joseph is starting to get a clue because remember back when he was talking about Pharaoh, he's on Pharaoh's father. Mm-hmm. That statement is who's, who's Pharaoh's father. Pharaoh's father is Ra. And so the idea that in that statement, he was kind of putting himself on the same level as this Egyptian God. Right. And here he's saying, no, no, I'm not. 
And remember that flippin' language when he talked to Pharaoh the first time, not I, but God is going to see for your see after you and for your well-being. But then when he talked to his brothers, look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. And that difference between talking to a subordinate and a superior. Right. And and now he's using the the right language with the brothers. He's back to using that language of equals. He's not trying to talk down to them anymore. And this is the first time Joseph has talked to them that it's, there's none of that needling. There's none of those little digs with using words to remind them of what happened. He's just, this is how things happened. Right. And God's going to redeem it. Uh, But you do, you, you ask a good question. The famine's over. The famine ended Five years after they got there, mm-hmm. we're 12 years past that. Why does he still need to sustain them? Right. So it seems like the brothers kind of bought in to Pharaoh's, you know, I'm going to give you everything. Sure. And they've been on state support for 12 years and they're okay. And Joseph is going to let it continue. He's going to make sure it continues. Yeah. So. Um, I oh, that's interesting. Am, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's just wild thinking about how all this stuff just fits together, and it, so it it really it does. So, um, let's continue with um. Well, I'm skip down to verse twenty four. Uh, Joseph realizes that he's getting ready to die. And he says, surely God will take notice of you and bring you up from this land to the land that he promised you on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the first time we have all three patriarchs mentioned together. And so the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this title for God is going to always be used in connection to the land. Anytime you see that, it's going to, to be a prayer, a promise mm-hmm. with, with geographic Israel, right? not just the people. And Joseph has realized by this point, when God takes notice of you, what's, what's the ESV say on that one? Um, it's, oh, I, just, I was just looking at that. <laughs> First, uh, Surely God will visit you and you shall carry him up my bones from here. Oh, I like the visit better. Because think of what's getting ready to happen in Exodus. God says, I'll, I will visit uh, visit vengeance upon the house of uh, Pharaoh. Exactly. I can't remember the exact yeah, wording, yeah. but it, it has, yeah. And, and so God visits Egypt to get them out of there. And when, the, when God shows up, it's not good. It's not pretty. Right. Yeah, salvation is at the door, but so is death. And it's terrifying. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's not not something you want to mess around with. But Joseph, I mean, it's no longer he's he's realizing he doesn't have any ability to rule. He he can't fix this. He can keep them alive in this land, but he can't deliver them. He's finally got to the end of what he can do. Mm-hmm. And he's he's recognized it. And his loyalty is no longer to Egypt. His loyalty is to the family. He wants them out. Yeah. He knows he's going to die. But when you leave, take me with you. Yeah. Pharaoh's not going to let you go and bury me like we did dad. But when, when you do get ready to go, and we know that from Exodus, they do. They take the bones of Joseph with them out of the land. 
and bury him in Canaan. So it is kind of a sacrificial act in a way where he's like, I know that I'm not going to make it out of here, but I'm going to do everything I can to protect you while I'm here. It's kind of that hero archetype of the, of the self-sacrifice. It may not be a dramatic battle or anything. Right. But- but we see that enacted in our movies all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and he's he's kind of accepted that this is his role now. And he he's made peace with it. But in making peace with it, he's returned to his place as a family, uh, as a family member. And then in verse 26, Joseph dies at the age of 110. Now we have... Remember that weird little story where Jacob and Pharaoh talk Mm -hmm. and Pharaoh wants to know, you know, how old are you? And Jacob, 130 years old, but, you know, life's been hard and few years have I lived, but, you know, it's not as much as my parents. Joseph lived an incomplete life. He didn't even live the number of years promised to him according to the Noahic flood. He is, you know, the 120. He is only lived 110 so he dies he still dies in Egypt and still as an Egyptian but in doing so he he, he's been making progress and moving back to that place of family right and uh you know he's a stranger in a strange land and it's only in death it's only in death that he is going to be returned to his proper place right and I love that because um you know, then we can talk about dying to self. We can talk about how the death of our dreams and the things that we think we're supposed to accomplish. Actually, when we turn loose to some of these things, that's when God brings around something greater. Um, but we don't have the vision for it. Right. And so uh, the last word, the, the absolute last word in Genesis is Egypt. Uh, they embalmed him. And placed him in a coffin, which, by the way, is the only time we have a coffin mentioned in the Bible. Right. Um, he's placed in a coffin in Egypt. End of story. Um, and contrast that with the beginning of the book, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we go through this whole account of creation where God creates Eden, this perfect place for people to have fellowship and to walk with God and to talk with God and to actually function as a family, we screw it all up. And we've gone through this entire saga in order to get Joseph and his family in Egypt, where they're going to, they're going to learn how to be a family in Egypt. Joseph has been demonstrating this in his speech. Before this, he didn't see himself as part of this, these 12 brothers. He was above them somehow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now he is, he's, now he's having to rely on them to figure out what to do with his body after he's dead. And in his death, th- there is this acknowledgement that he bears the marks and the, the repercussions of his time there. That, that's not been forgotten because he lives an incomplete life, but there's still that hope and he hangs on to it. And, you know, at this point, we don't really have a lot of teaching about the afterlife. We don't know what Joseph knows about what happens when you die. Uh, we've got a little bit of mention of Sheol, but Sheol's not so great. Uh, it's not the most terrible thing, but it's not so great. But he he's holding out hope not for himself, but he's holding out hope for his family. Right. And And this is why when you read the story, you don't want to stop here because if the last word's Egypt, you got problems. 
right. you, you need to be able to move on and into, into Exodus for that hope. And I think that the story, whenever we're looking at it, I, don't, I think we tell it just too quickly in the churches and we, we tell it as, you know, we make it too pretty. And it's, it's not, it's, it's blood and bone real. Yeah. So, and that's really all I've got. Well, that's the book of Genesis, folks. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, no, it was a fun, it was a fun trip. And I, I, I definitely think, you know, I think there's some things that I definitely think we need to maybe go through and, and check out some threads that we may have dropped here and there. Uh, do a quick recap yeah. next time we record and then uh, jump into judges. But I really enjoyed this. It's it's definitely made the narrative just like more expansive. It's it's made it make a lot more sense. And and so I, I love that. I, I love going through and, and doing this. So well, I'm and you know, we may not have offered a lot of answers, but we sure have helped people ask questions. Yeah. And and that's the beautiful thing because I think a lot of times when in our tradition, uh, we were kind of taught that asking questions was disruptive. And right. that it was causing problems. And the, but on the flip side, we had a dad who liked it when we asked questions. And right. Well, it wasn't dad saying don't ask questions. Right. It was it was a lot of people in the mm-hmm. uh, in our uh, church leadership right. that was saying don't ask questions, or or they were saying ask questions, but not the ones you're asking. <laughs> right. Ask the ones I know the answer to. And you know, but we also. That was where I was going to go with dad. Dad wanted us to think and he wanted us to, to kind of explore things. And that's actually very rabbinic of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember one time asking him, you know, why do you always answer my questions with a question? And he goes, what's wrong with the question? I, and that, that's just, I wanted to beat him in the moment. But that, that forcing us to think through, <laughs> even if we don't have all the proper answers or even the right answers or if we can have an answer at all right it doesn't matter because when we're we're asking those questions we really are wrestling with the text and we're drawing closer to the meaning of it and if we just get closer even if we don't have it figured out if we just get closer mm-hmm. we're going to gain so much more out of it because this is a revelation of god to man and i, I love that and that we don't we aren't like other cultures because most of the real quick side note, most of the, the Psalms written during this time to foreign gods, they're a lament. Mm. What, what is, you know, what is the will of God? Who is God? How can I know God? And yet here, these guys are walking and talking with God and they're, I mean, they're sharing meals with God. Right. That's pretty awesome. And I, I think that's, um, there's things to be learned there that we need to, to appreciate. So, yeah. Well, cool. Well, Hey everyone, thank you for joining us. Uh, this concludes our Genesis. Well, almost concludes our Genesis. That's, that's our last <laughs> walkthrough. We'll figure out what we're going to do next time, but it's um, been so much fun for me. Hope you're having fun. Did you have something you're going to? Yes, I did. If there's anything in particular on any of these episodes, by all means, as Nathan's going to say, ask the questions. Yep. But also know that on the show notes, I have tried to include links to various resources. Uh, some of them are books that need to be purchased from Amazon. Some are PDFs that you can get online. Uh, some are websites and articles that you can just read for free. And, and we're, we try to provide those. So be sure and check those out and make use of them if you want mm-hmm. to take the, the study deeper. Right. Well, yeah. But yes. 
I definitely hit up that because yeah, in our show notes, I, I should mention that uh, at the end as we go through, you know, ravencreeksc.com uh, on faith and other oddities, you go to the episode page, you will find notes there. And, and sometimes they're not always out when the episode comes up, but they're usually out within a week or so um, because we do have, basically it's the two of us and no one else working. But if you have any questions specifically, ravencreeksc.com on social media, that's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, send us a message. Um, you can also do ravencreeksc at gmail.com if you want to email us directly. Wasn't it? Uh, that's a whole different. Oh, sorry. No. I know what I'm doing. Okay. So this is my side of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the thing I can do. <laughs> Fine, I'll conjugate some Hebrew. <laughs> so, no, uh, hit us up. Uh, we love having the questions. We love the interaction, the feedback. Uh, as long as, uh, you know, as long as we're doing this, we'd like to know someone's at least listening. Um, so, again, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week with even more Bible stuff. So, thanks. Okay. Bye. Oddities Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.